Hello and welcome to Inequality Talks, a podcast from the volunteers at Mellonfolk Litsamwerker, Aarhus. This episode will be a part of the Inequality Interviews series, where we invite guest speakers to come and share their knowledge and expertise. I'm Edward, and with me today is Lars Koch, the Policy Director of Mellonfolk Litsamwerker. Today's topic is tax havens and tax evasion, which is an area that Lars knows particularly well through his work at Oxfam and Mellonfolkli Samveke the last 15 years. We're very glad that you could join us here today, Lars. Welcome. Thank you very much. You are here in the capacity of being an expert on tax havens. Uh, so I was wondering if maybe we could, uh, you could talk a little bit about your background before we get started. Like how, how did you come to be involved in this topic and, and why does it interest you? Well, I have a I have a background as political scientist, uh, but always been occupied with what I call structural causes of poverty at the global level. And I came into to tax justice when I lived in Bolivia back in 2001 to four, where I worked with indigenous people and on extractive industries, mining, oil, gas. Mm. And we looked at all the negative social environmental consequences of these extractive industries. However, I also wondered what happened to all the profits from these uh, from these resources. They tended to escape the countries and you didn't see any development uh, where you exploited the resources. And that led me into considering tax dodging, tax, ev- tax evasion, and, and, and how can we make sure that developing countries better profit from the resources and activities taking place in their countries. So that's what led me into tax uh, to, to tax justice. Okay, interesting. Uh, we'll, we'll touch in on the, the international aspect of it later, but maybe we could, could uh, start with some basics. You know, what are tax havens and how do they work for listeners who maybe don't know that much about this phenomenon? That's a good question, uh, because there's no clear definition of what is a tax haven. Uh, and many people perceive tax havens as small Caribbean islands, and that is far from the whole truth. Tax havens are jurisdictions, and that is also mean not necessarily countries, but jurisdictions which are attached to, for example, the United Kingdom, uh, where you have uh, elements of secrecy. That is mean you can hide your money, you can hide who is the beneficial owner of companies. You cannot see who actually owns the companies. They don't have to 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 present their, their accounts and their balances. And so secrecy is one key element at any tax uh, haven. Another key element is a, a zero or low tax rate. Uh, that means that you enable companies uh, to, to base themselves there and avoid paying any taxes. And uh, the third element is often that you have specific uh, rules for international companies, which are different from uh, from from local uh, companies in a in a larger tax haven. I mean, this this applies to I mean many countries. Also, Denmark have features, and, and I think it's better to talk about features of tax havens, where there's an element in Denmark where you also can hide uh, some of your ownership information. That's a feature of a tax haven. It's not very strong in Denmark. It's much stronger in Switzerland. It's much stronger in the United States or in the city of London uh, or in small Caribbean islands. Uh, But I mean, it's important to understand that tax havens is features of tax systems across 
200 plus jurisdictions. And what enables tax avoidance, which is almost in any case legal, is that you can exploit the loopholes between these 200 different tax systems. And they are they are these, these loopholes are established uh, by tax havens and by the tax havens or the tax advisory industry that is the big accountancy companies and the tax lawyers who advise also countries how they can uh, adapt the legislation to attract uh, tax base from other countries. I call it steel tax bases from other countries. You enable companies to move their profits to your country where you only take a tiny little profit or some fees for establishing yourself in the country. And by that, stealing the tax base and enabling wealthy people or corporates to avoid paying taxes. Okay. So so it's, it's not one place or, or one thing. It's is it, is it's it, a system. It's a system. Okay, interesting. In my mind, it seems like it's it's maybe more difficult to do anything about it if if it's not just one place and a few people. It's it's a network of. I mean, it's it's important to understand that tax havens are. I mean. They are there for a reason. Mm. Uh, those who benefit from tax havens are wealthy people, wealthy individuals who want to hide their profits uh, either from their wife or because they have looted uh, governments from corruption or because they just have a huge wealth that they want to leave untaxed. Uh, it's uh, criminals, uh, corrupt gangsters, mafias, uh, terrorists. It's, I mean, it's black money, uh, which they launder through tax havens to take into the white uh, or the the, the legal uh, economy and and spending on 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 housing and 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 luxury acts and private jets and whatever they spend it on, and it's for corporates who want to uh, avoid taxes. So these are the most powerful players on the planet. I mean. It's the largest corporations, it's the most wealthy wealthy individuals, and it's institutions like the accountancy companies and the tax uh, lawyers. And I mean, they have such a vested interest in maintaining this system because it's extremely profitable to them. And therefore, I mean, getting getting this right is also I mean, addressing the, 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 the economic power of the planet. Uh, and that's mm. what makes it complicated. <laughs> okay. So no, no less of a task than addressing the entire planet. Or the economic power holders of the planet. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned something about legality there. Um, and I'm, I'm getting the impression that maybe tax havens aren't necessarily illegal. Does it make sense to talk about legality? It, it does. I mean, and when I talk to, and I do that very often, when I talk to the to the big uh, multinational companies or also to wealthy individuals and their represent, representatives, I mean, they say, but this is legal. What's the problem? And, and the problem is exactly that a system which allows the wealthiest people and the largest corporation on the planet to avoid paying the same taxes that small and medium-sized enterprises or ordinary workers like you and I, that we pay in tax. This system uh, that legalizes this uh, the structure, that's the problem that it's legal. And the reason for why most of this, what happens is legal, is that uh, you have these 200 global tax jurisdictions 
where you can exploit the different loopholes. And many of these loopholes are established to be exploited. I mean, when Cayman Island holds uh, secrecy about who are the beneficial owners of the of the, the capital funds on, on, on Cayman, that's for a reason. Uh, so it's it's in most cases it's legal and exactly what the tax lawyers and the accountant companies does is to support help individuals and corporates to to make a legal tax avoidance however some of that is in the gray or in the black area i mean one element is that you have dirty money i mean from corruption uh, terrorists or uh, or just ordinary fraud, uh, which is money laundered, money laundered through tax havens. That's the money themselves are illegal, and they use this system to to clean them in order to use them in the in, in the white economy. Uh, but uh, in some cases, also, I mean, this, it's a gray area, and you don't know what is legal and what is not legal until it has been tested in the courtroom, and that is extremely costly and difficult. So in many cases, a tax advisor will say, we set up this structure where you put, you establish a, a, a mother company in Cayman Island, you have a subsidiary in Luxembourg, and then you hold your profits in Denmark, and you move around the money. Let's see, it's, it's potentially it's legal, potentially if it's detected by the authorities, they'll call it out and but I mean they, they'll advise you on how 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 uh, what what's your risk profile how many risks do you want to take uh, for for being detected and and potentially finding this illegal but I mean it's it's a kind of a system where you where you always go to the to the limits of what's possible is there maybe any clue in because you hear some different terms like tax evasion and tax avoidance and also tax fraud is there maybe any any clue as to sort of legality in those terms, or, oh, yeah. or are they interchangeable? No, they're definitely not. I mean, uh, tax avoidance is the legal way where you exploit the system. You do what you call uh, profit shifting uh, for, as, mm. as a multinational company, which in most cases is legal. You some cases it's in this gray area, and some cases it could be illegal and if it becomes illegal it becomes tax avoid sorry tax evasion which is illegal or fraud so it's very important to on the one hand distinct between this and i mostly talk about tax avoidance the legal thing because that's that's mm-hmm. the main problem when it's just illegal when it's just is illegal uh, then it's just about i mean getting into the courtroom uh, but the problem is that most of what is happening is is actually somehow legal or potentially legal Okay, that's interesting because because that that hints, as you say, that maybe the system has to change, and not just you know going after the odd criminal. Or... Yeah, I mean, and, and this is crucial because I mean our I mean our counterparts in this discussion on tax justice they say this it's it's legal as long as it's legal. But I mean the problem is that the legality is established by smaller and larger countries who deliberately put in place legislation which allows a system which is extremely unjust. It's it's interesting you're mentioning un, unjust there because I'm also curious, if it is legal, then, then at least at some point, I think most of us will still say that it's a problem. And I, I was wondering if maybe you know anything about whether or not people who, let's call them tax evaders, if there's some sort of uh, identifiable moral or ethic defense, or, or do they just prefer to hide their money and and then you never know who they are? And I mean, 
if if the two elements of tax avoidance, the multinationals and the wealthy individuals. And when you look at the wealthy individuals, there's a tendency, and there's a famous sociologist who did some inside analysis of, of the tax havens industry and the people, I mean, the advisors and, and the wealthy individuals there. If you look at the wealthy individuals, many of these people, they seem I mean, they they are they see them above the law. I mean, uh, mm. she holds a, a, a an interesting exam where she is an advisor to one of these wealthy people, joined with her colleague. They invited. I mean, come on, we're going to visit one of the communists. They go to an airplane to 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 a to a, a, an airport in Austria, uh, and they just don't go go through the pass. Uh, they don't have to show the passport. They go straight to the private jet. They fly to some other country. They don't have to show their passport. They go and do their negotiations there, and they fly back. I mean, hmm. they are. If you are sufficiently wealthy, you kind of uh, tend to be above the law, and yeah. that's how they see them. And they also see them in some cases. Uh, they see themselves as. I mean, why should we? pay our taxes. I mean, we we are not ordinaries. I mean, we are we are we are something mm. different. And then on the other hand, if you look at multinationals, they are often pushed by their shareholders to 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 present as huge a profit as possible to uh, to comfort their owners. Uh, and yeah. uh, you also have to this this is a kind of paraphrasing. They all try to do it as or to do avoid as much tax as possible. You also see, for example, I'm working with a Danish millionaire who's uh, supporting our work for a wealth tax. I mean, he says okay. it's not sufficient to be a philanthropic, like giving giving some of his wealth to 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 humanitarian causes. He's also actually supporting the call for 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 taxing wealthy people so you have mm. also i mean what do you call uh, humanitarian millionaires i think the network calls themselves where they're calling for wealth tax and taxing themselves and then you have multinationals where you also see I mean, danish larger multinationals uh, tend to be more tax responsible and we have since 2014 been working in a network in Denmark with the largest uh, Danish multinationals and the largest Danish uh, finance institutions pension funds on uh, what we call tax responsibility and establish I mean rules and not rules but I mean principles for how you could act responsible as a corporate or as an investor and you see increasingly number particularly of Danish Nordic European companies uh, taking on tax responsibility principles and start acting more responsible and transparent while and I'm sorry to call them out particularly American companies tend to be more tax aggressive uh, but I mean there are differences and some companies very aggressive in their tax planning and other con- other companies more responsible towards the societies on which they profit mm. so if it's not technically illegal and you know maybe some people will say that okay they're earning their money why shouldn't they keep it then then what kind of problems is our tax havens causing and especially as you mentioned since it's an international problem and it can relate to in between states maybe you can talk about what actual problems this is causing and and what the challenges are for individual states in dealing with this i mean where I started out my career in Bolivia, uh, looking at this, I mean, the problem was that you had huge poverty. I mean, uh, you had a, a one third of the population living in poverty, while a little local elite, Bolivian elite, profited 
extremely from the huge uh, natural resources jointly with multinational companies exploiting these resources. So that does mean the cost of that tax avo uh, avoidance or evasion uh, was mean lack of investments in education, lack of investments in infrastructure. I mean, people dying due to ordinary health issues because they couldn't get treated at a public hospital. I mean, it's fatal in developing countries. It's fatal to poor people that the global elite of the most wealthy companies, the most wealthy individuals that they can avoid, pay their contribution to the common good. I mean, to 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 what is I mean, just human rights. I mean, we see tax avoidance as a human rights issue. If we allow the the most wealthy people and corporates on the planet not to contribute to their share, we actually cannot fulfill the human rights of ordinary people. It's the one percent escaping uh, the societies on which they built their profits. And this is important. This is why it's fair that they pay their fair share. It's because I mean, mm. they're not profiting. They're not making their wealth and their profits out of nothing. They're building on the shoulders of the society of which they are part. And mm. to come back to this Danish millionaire I worked with, Jaffa Shachi, he was, it's an interesting story, and that's why I want to tell it to you. Uh, he came to Denmark at seven years old with his four siblings and his uh, parents. His parents got divorced. His mother was working as a cleaning assistant in Denmark. I mean, he entered the public school. He entered the high school. He entered the university, all free, paid by the Danish welfare state. He became an engineer and worked in one of the larger entrepreneurial businesses in Denmark. He started his own business 20 years back in construction. And he gained a fortune. But his story is saying, I, mean, I earned my wealth, not as because I'm very super, uh, much better than anyone else. He has been an entrepreneurial guy. But I mean, he acknowledged that he has built his wealth on the shoulders of the welfare state, which provided him with his education and with the entire structure that allowed him to, to gain his profits. And that's why he calls for that he and his alikes should pay back to the society on the shoulders they're building their, their fortunes. So why do you think then that Scandinavian millionaires are maybe more inclined to pay their fair share than, for example, Americans? No, I think it's it's crucial to talk about in tax also about the social contract and the social contract in in in, in Denmark and in the Scandinavian countries is much stronger than in most other countries due to that we we pay a relatively high percentage of what we earn into taxes but we also see the benefits I mean we see that we have great and safe societies with free education, free health, uh, and uh, happiness. I mean, uh, happiness coming from 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 uh, from being uh, being safe. I mean, I remember. I mean, uh, when I when I lived in Bolivia, uh, what happens in Bolivia is when we talk about tax with people in Bolivia, and say, why should I pay to these corrupt bastards running our government? That was before the the the, the revolution in two thousand and five. Uh, and also the, the the huge inequality that you see in other countries outside Scandinavia, it's still increasing in Denmark and in, in Scandinavia, but I mean, we still have a relatively equal system. When I lived in Bolivia, I came into my house and I should have done some maintenance of the electricity system and called an electrician. Uh, and he said, oh, we have to change this, uh, this switch. Uh, I have to go and, and buy a new switch. I gave him 200 bolivianos, 
Did he come back? No, he did not. I mean, and my friends, my Bolivian friends, they told me, you jack, you <laughs> gave him the money? What do you expect? Should he come back to you? What's his, his, what is his incentive to come back to you when you have given him the money? Right. In Denmark, when I have a problem in my apartment, I mean, I call an electrician, I put the key under the doormat, he enters my apartment, he leaves my television and other stuff of value in my apartment when he repairs the thing he has to repair. He leaves a bill to me, expecting me to pay the bill, mm. and I pay the bill. I mean, this kind of, 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 of trust building on a relatively equal society is extremely efficient. And that is a problem in, with tax evasion uh, in, in many countries that it creates uh, inequality, which undermines the social contract and undermines trust in each other, and therefore, I mean, uh, also undermines happiness and, 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 and well-functioning societies. Mm. That's, that's an interesting perspective. And I, I was actually thinking thinking about this when, when I was reading about this, because I mean I guess some or a lot of work has to be done to to go after those people who who are avoiding to pay taxes. But I was also maybe asking myself if if it's maybe it's just easier to, or you know it's not an easy task, but maybe it's a better way to try and build a society where, for example, trust is valued instead of, of trying continuously to punish the people who are doing wrong. Right? It, it sounds like you're, you're saying something like this, or I don't know if you would agree to that. No, I think building trust, uh, but trust comes out of building a society where everybody holds uh, more or less the same opportunities uh, and can uh, can see prospects to fulfill their ambitions. And ambition sounds very ambitious, but it's also the ambition of a of a of a young woman to uh, to feed her family and then see a, a potential for getting a job at some stage. And if you don't see that potential, then you start acting uh, asocial. I mean, then you, uh, in many cases in developing countries, you'll start migrate to 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 pursue your chances other places in the near larger city or to another country. Uh, but also, I mean, you will enter into criminality, criminal activities if if you don't see any legal uh, means how to how how, how to feed your families. Mm. So, so building an equal society where all where everyone holds opportunities is key, and this is financed by taxes. Mm. I mean, sometimes when I I work in in in, in a development organization and, and talk a lot about development aid, I mean, but I mean the key instrument to finance health and education also in developing countries, that is through the tax bill, that is to enable countries to mobilize revenues to to finance uh, public services like education, health, and social security systems. And that's why it's it's key to, on the one hand, I mean, support this system throughout development aid, but more important, to stop the bleeding out of the countries. I mean, many of these developing countries, they in, in, in total developing countries lose more from tax evasion that they get in the, than they get from, from development aid. So, I mean, stop the bleeding out of the countries is key to, to help these countries to, to finance a decent development. Okay, so I guess we we can agree that tax havens are something that we should do something about. Definitely. But what what are you? Because uh, you are the policy director in in Mellemfolkelsamvege, and and you work with this for for a long time. What are you doing, and what can you do to start this work of of breaking down these these tax havens? 
I mean, uh, at a start, I mean, I can't do anything on my own. I mean, what is important is that uh, in the first hand, what we do in the countries where we work as Action Aid, uh, and we work with, with local partners and youth groups, where we, for an example, at the local level, we hold governments to account for, for the revenue in the municipality that they get from taxes and, and call for transparency in their spending and call for social investments from these resources. Uh, in uh, right now, we are, for an example, supporting in uh, in Zimbabwe uh, uh, to get get have have less tax on um, on uh, hygiene what do you call hygienical uh, kits for for women, uh, and and that's a kind of a, having a more fair tax system for women when we look very much at how taxes can be progressive. That means that the the, the more you earn, the more you pay, and how they can spend uh, the revenues uh, more progressively to support particularly uh, women and youth and poor people. But I mean, the, in, in other countries, in, in Zambia, we've been working with, uh, with local organizations to, uh, to uh, have a copper mine there owned by one of the largest multinationals in the, in the natural resource industry, Glencore how we can uh, make sure that it start paying taxes in Zambia to finance I mean, exactly these public services. So looking at these uh, larger multinationals operating in the developing countries is what we do with the local partners to, uh, to address the specific loopholes that these companies, these mines, they use to avoid paying, paying taxes, but also uses that as examples at the international level to call for changes in the international tax systems. And that is, for an example, going to, to Europe, where we right now work at the European level, to uh, where we, there's a, as we speak, uh, uh, discussions in the European community between the Commission, the Parliament, and the European Council about a new directive, which is, I mean, suggested by civil society organizations, including Action Aid Denmark, on uh, how multinational companies of a certain size should present public country-by-country -country reporting. And that is that a mining company like Glencore operating in Zambia, they should report their profits, their activities, their sales in all the countries where they have presence, including in, in Zambia, in Switzerland, and in Cayman Islands and other places. So we can see how they uh, manipulate their accounts and move the profits to avoid paying uh, taxes in Zambia and move the profits to Switzerland where they pay a very low corporate tax rate. So uh, having these kind of, 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 of system change, I would call it, on, on getting a directive of the EU level, where, which will be implemented in the European and, and in the longer term in the global level to call for more transparency into corporate uh, accounts. That is a, a crucial part of what we do. We're also calling out... Uh, uh, jointly now with, with some odd new allies for a, for an increased corporate tax rate. I mean, the corporate tax rate has over the last 40 years at the global scale been halved from approximately 50% uh, on average to down to 20, 25%. 
And right now we are calling for a, for increased corporate tax rate. And fascinatingly, uh, the the Conservative government of, of the United Kingdom has just adopted uh, a legislation to increase the tax rate from 19 to 25 percent. That is, I mean, a revolution taking place. And the Biden uh, administration in the U.S. they're suggesting uh, to increase their tax rate from 21 to 28 percent. And are also calling for uh, an international minimum corporate tax rate, and this is, I mean, this is all, I mean, elements that we in the tax justice movement over the last twenty years have been calling for to instead of continuously decreasing uh, the corporate tax rate and the personal income tax rate in a race to the bottom, saying we have to compete with other countries, so we always have to lower the tax rates with the only beneficiaries being rich uh, people and, 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 and larger corporations. Now we see a reverse of this trend. And this is a, potentially a, a paradigm shift at the global economic level, which is, I mean, we have seen since 1980 uh, with Thatcher and Reckon, we saw the introduction of the neoliberal economic thinking, where you should, I mean, roll back the state, free the market, have global free trade systems. Now we see post-COVID-19 crisis, we see potentially a paradigm shift with a new role for the government, with a uh, where the governments have been, I mean, uh, supporting not only uh, uh, workplaces and ordinary people through the crisis, but uh, increasingly also uh, companies have been investing hugely in 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 in, in supporting uh, and in uh, supporting the economy, and we see a new role for for this for the state for the government in the economy and a new balance between the state and the market, which is uh, hold to me a great perspective for the future. Okay, exciting. <laughs> you sound very very optimistic. Right now, there's reason to be optimistic. I mean, we we see a, a we see a, for the first time in 40 years we see a, a, a serious challenge to the neoliberal thinking. Uh, we see a, a a new approach to what I call market fundamentalism. I mean, that the market should rule everything, should rule everything uh, towards uh, an increased democratic control of the economy as well, and an, a stronger role for the for democratic uh, regulation of the economy. This is a uh, uh, potentially a, a very big shift we're seeing, hopefully. Mm. But am I correct uh, in hearing that, that this is primarily uh, an initiative from the state and from uh, international uh, sort of stately organizations? I mean, it's crucial to understand that to address tax havens and tax avoidance as a systemic problem, uh, we need cooperation between countries. Uh, in 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 many countries in Denmark and globally and in the European Union, uh, there's a uh, among countries a perception that means we should uh, retake it, take back control. The Britons would say on, on our tax systems. But I mean the only way to take back control on tax is to cooperate with other countries. It's an illusion to think that you can. Uh, control your own tax system in a global economy where wealthy people and multinationals operate at a global scale. You cannot control anything 
as an isolated country. That's what we have been seeing over the recent years uh, with the increasing tax dodging uh, by wealthy people and multinationals exploiting this global system. So we have to cooperate between countries and that's potentially what we see right now. So on the one hand, we see very important uh, cooperation taking place at the European level. We see at the OECD level, OECD is a rich countries club, I call it. They have been coordinating a lot of initiatives to curb tax evasion and avoidance. However, with the exclusion of developing countries from the decision-making bodies. So developing countries' interests are not taken into account. And we see a UN system which potentially could be strengthened with which is more inclusive and also hold the voices of developing countries. But I mean, the, the, the measures that are now taken by the UK government, by the US administration, by the European Union, are, and I'm, I'm proud of this, measures, all of them suggested by the tax justice movement. I mean, the, the idea about this country by country reporting transparency into multinational companies' accounts was suggested by tax justice activists back in 2003. The idea of strengthening wealth taxation is when tax justice movement suggestions. I mean, the idea of increasing corporate tax, that's what we have been calling for in the tax justice movement. So uh, to a certain extent, we have a... a, a Potentially a very successful movement where we have been struggling for this for 20 years and now we start seeing some of the results. And this is maybe also a point that change takes time. I mean, mm. we have, we have a, 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 a lot of activists across the world and movements who have been calling for this for the last 20 years. And now we start, I mean, now we have a chance using this crisis, the COVID crisis, the pandemic, uh, to push through uh, systemic changes. That's amazing. I'm, I'm very glad to hear that. Uh, you mentioned uh, the COVID crisis. How, how has that affected the the situation? Uh... I mean, uh, let me make an analogy to uh, back in the seventies, where we have a huge economic or the oil crisis, and uh, in eighty that led to nineteen eighties, it led to the introduction of the neoliberal model. That was a, a global economic crisis, which. Uh, some people and, 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 and think tanks and thinkers uh, deliberately used to, to, uh, to change economic thinking towards a neoliberal market fundamentalism model. The COVID crisis provides the same opportunities to us as uh, social justice uh, and tax justice fighters to, to use this crisis to push through uh, potentially huge changes in economic thinking. And there are two elements in this. On the one hand, the COVID crisis, will, which is global and global by nature, uh, you have seen... Uh, at a difference from the financial crisis in the in 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 twenty in twenty eight twenty ten, uh, where you said oh, we have to uh, shrink the, the 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 public sector, we have to introduce austerity policies, we have to reduce spending. Uh, in this crisis, we've been saying, no, let's take on lending uh, at, at the government level and invest in supporting companies, supporting workers, supporting ordinary people, holding a hand under a very big and strong hand under the economy. And this is a game changer. Uh, to a certain extent, uh, there's there's... There is a problem is that the governments are building up huge debts right now and still increasingly, I mean, we're talking about an economic crisis. This is 
only a crisis in the bottom of the societies to ordinary people and to unemployed people who are affected by the crisis. If you look at the wealthy, 1%, 10%, you have seen in Denmark, for example, the, the property market uh, exploding with a 10% increase in prices, and that is to mean particularly to the 10% wealthiest people. You have seen the the stock market explode in Denmark. You had never seen the stock market as strong as it is right now, again, to the benefit of the 10% riches in Denmark. And this is a global tendency that you see that rich people are not affected by this crisis. They are actually gaining from the crisis, Why ordinary people are affected on this crisis. So... This is this is the challenge. This is where tax justice come into place because when we have to finance these measures that we are putting in place now to curb the crisis, it's about increasing the revenues to the government through tax policies, and that's why the UK and the US are introducing these increases in the in, in the corporate tax rates these these days as we speak. Then I also have to say the climate crisis. I mean, has kind of been overshadowed by the COVID crisis. The climate crisis hasn't escaped. It's just been, yeah, overshadowed. Yeah. And what I also believe is there's, there's, there's an increased understanding that we have to invest in a green and just transition. And to do that, we have to, we cannot leave that to the market forces. We have seen the market uh, and the market fundamentalism over the last 40 years uh, creating this climate crisis through a totally unsustainable consumption and production patterns. Now, with the climate crisis, we have to change these patterns and we have to invest heavily uh, with a democratically regulated investments to ensure that it is green investments. And we cannot leave that to the market alone. So there's the, the the green economy and the the need for a green transition is also changing the perception of what the roles are for the for the governments and and the private sector in in a green transition. That's another uh, very important tendency that we see these days. Do you think it's likely? Because I mean, it's it's one thing that the the governments uh, want to raise the taxes, but do you think it's likely that the corporations will pay taxes, or will they always just find new ways of doing this and that to avoid paying those taxes? And so it's irrelevant if it's low or high. Uh, I mean, they have the, the 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 corporations, multinationals, and and their their advisors have been and are still extremely innovative in 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 how to avoid uh, paying taxes. I I I I normally say that the the transaction cost to avoid taxes has increased. It's increasingly more complicated, and you have to have an increasingly higher paid advisor. But it's you we haven't closed the loopholes, and. If you particularly if you look at corporate taxation, the system for how we how we tax multinational companies was invented 100 years ago, and it's when we're trying to 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 uh, to solve the problems within that system, it's like taking a Ford A produced in 1930 and putting it into uh, a highway today and try to fix it and increase its speed. It's never going to work. We have to rethink the way that we tax corporations. And the problem is that we treat multinationals as separate, I mean, a multinational consisting of 
hundreds of companies, subsidiaries across many countries. We treat them as individual companies when we try to tax them. Instead of, and this is particularly pertinent for the for 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 the tech industry, companies like Apple, Facebook, Twitter, and so forth, where they their presence in countries is artificial. It's a, a, a digital presence they have, so it's increasingly hard to tax them. And due to, I mean, particularly this problem of of taxing the tech industry, uh, has sparked a, 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 an understanding of the need to to reform the tax system towards a system where you treat multinationals as global entities and say, Apple they hold a profits of 50 billion US dollars a year. I mean, and you can then you can say. How much of that profit is generated at Bermuda, where they lo- where they boot most of the profit? It's mm. nil. It's nothing. Mm. So you can you can through a formula looking at where do they have their sales, where do they have their assets, where do they have their their employer their employment. Uh, through a formula based on those three components, you can say 20% of the profit of Apple is should be booked in the United States and they should be taxed there. And 1% should be booked in Denmark and 3% in the UK and so forth. But I mean, treating corporations as global entities and taking their profits and distributing it to countries for taxations in each of the countries where they generate a value, that would be a much more fair system. And I believe not in the first five years, not in the next 10 years, but within... 15, 20 years from now, I believe that we'll see a change towards uh, another way of taxing multinationals. But it could also be earlier. I mean, sometimes you see uh, changes coming in in in, in, in big jumps. Mm. Well, well, I hope you're right, uh, Lars. Is, is there anything else you would like to add before we uh, move to, to close this podcast episode? And just saying that, I mean, to 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 ordinary people in in Denmark or in in Africa or in Asia, I mean, this is a key issue. We have to engage in this. This is this is the key system through where uh, the global elite of wealthy people and cooperation they escape their responsibilities for the societies that they are part of, and we have to end this. It's it's it's. It's a key issue, and 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 we are taking great steps in that direction. But there's a long way to go, and we should keep up that fight. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for doing your part, at least, Lars. And thank you so much for coming here. It's been it's been very educational. Thanks, a pleasure. If this interview has piqued your curiosity, we've got a lot going on in Mellemfaldet Samvike Aarhus. Mellomfolk Samvege is a Danish NGO that works for a more just and sustainable world, collaborating with global partners worldwide as a part of ActionAid Alliance. Here in Aarhus, we have over 100 volunteers working together to run a not-for-profit cafe and campaign and educate in areas ranging from feminism and climate justice to anti-discrimination and economic inequality to queer issues and refugee rights. You can come down to Café Mellanfolk every day but Sunday for amazing food, drinks and events in a cozy café run by our lovely volunteers. You can also get involved with our events, activities and campaigns and even running the café as a volunteer yourself. So go check out Instagram and Facebook to find out more about our café and our campaigns by looking up Café Mellanfolk or Mellanfolk Litsamvike Aarhus or following the links in the episode notes. And check out Podbean, YouTube, 
and other podcast providers for more episodes and interviews. Details are in the episode description. Thank you everyone for listening, and until next time, goodbye.